Hi, everyone. Dr. B here again of Ask the Dentist. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. We are very functionally minded. I know you all know that, but today you are going to see the cream of the crop when it comes to the functional approach. I've been talking with Dr. Typograph. I'm going to call her Jennifer from now on, Dr. Bayer, Kimberly for a while now. I actually just got their bios. I, I was impressed to begin with, and I'm going to read to you their bios now. We're going to talk about implants today. I've collated a lot of questions, your questions. So today we're going to answer many questions, not just one question. Let me start with Dr. Bayer, Kimberly. So she's a Maryland native, receiving both her undergraduate in biology and doctoral in dental surgery from the University of Maryland, College Park. Since then, she's earned a master's degree in implantology from NYU, as well as a master's degree in biological medicine and toxicology and orthodontics. She's a board-certified member of the Naturopathic Medicine and received her board certification in IV anesthesia from Duquesne University. She opened the doors to Natural Dentist Associates in North Bethesda, Maryland. We're going to talk more about that location and how you can contact both Jennifer and Kimberly later. In addition to her degrees, she received certifications in a multitude of areas, including ceramic implantology, which we're going to talk about today, Swiss dental solutions in Switzerland, airway dentistry with Dr. Felix Laeo, Hal Huggins biological dentistry, and epigenetic growth appliance therapy. She's a certified fellow with the IAOMT and continues to expand her education through regular seminars, conferences, and continuing education courses. She's extremely passionate about providing quality dental care. You're going to see that that's really going to show today in our hour conversation. And she's offering her patients a dental experience that is free of toxins, BPA, fragrances, fluoride. Her areas of expertise include IV sedation dentistry and alternative services like ozone therapy, safe amalgam filling removal, dental materials testing, natural orthodontics, laser dentistry, and non-metal zirconia SDS ceramic dental implants which is what the focus will be today. She built her biological dental practice with a strong emphasis on non-reactive and biofriendly materials, always staying current with the newest dental innovations, especially those that are evidence-based and emphasize biocompatibility. Right there, that is the epitome of a functional provider. Uh, it's amazing. And again, this is stuff we don't get in dental school, right? It's well beyond that. But Jennifer, Dr. Typograph, is a native Washingtonian receiving her Bachelor of Science from Virginia Polytech Institute and State University. After completing her degree at Virginia Tech, Dr. Typograph began working with Natural Dental Associates as a dental assistant. That's how you guys met. While working yeah. under Dr. Kimberly Bear, which I'm sure you were so impressed, she developed a deep passion for biological dentistry and treating the body as a whole. Following her apprenticeship as a holistic dental assistant, you don't hear that word too often, apprenticeship, I love that. <laughs> he attended Howard University College Dentistry, where she graduated third and first female in her class, earning her Doctor of Dental Surgery DDS degree. She's an accredited provider with International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, IAOMT, and practices the safe mercury removal, as does Kim, the SMART method. And she's received certifications from uh, multiple areas including ceramic implantology with Swiss Dental Solutions in Switzerland, airway dentistry with Dr. Felix Laeo, and am I pronouncing that right? Laeo. Okay, Laeo. And epigenetic growth appliance therapy with Vivos DNA and Alpha Educational Institute, LLC, with Dr. James Bronson. She is a member of IABDM. That's the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine. I love that. And medicine. And Holistic Dental Association, the HDA, stays current with everything. Some highlights here, extensive experience with children and infants, 
biological whole body approach, including ozone therapy, ceramic-based dental fillings, tongue tie releases, ceramic zirconia, dental implants, all ceramic crowns, remineralization, don't hear that too often, that's reversing mm -hmm. decay, growth appliances, and safe amalgam filling removal. Wow. Thanks so much, guys, for being here. This is wonderful. You guys really epitomize the, I would say, the crux or the, the ultimate functional provider. And in fact, there are a lot of dentists that I think want to be what you've done. How did you do it? I mean, just reading that, the time, you look pretty young to me. You've got young kids. Uh, I assume you have husbands or, or partners. How'd you do it? Sure. I mean, you know, as, as you said before, I started off as Kim's dental assistant before I went to dental school. So I was introduced to this early on in my career, which I'm forever grateful for. Um, but, you know, just I went to school, came back, started working for him, just started taking classes. I was I mean, I was taking classes even within dental school outside of the actual school. But when I came back and one of the things that I was drawn to right away was the fact that Kim was a continuing ed junkie, just always learning, always on the forefront of dentistry and if you're not learning, you're not growing. So to stay current and just be on top of what's coming out, what we're seeing, because as our environment changes, what we need to use or do differently changes. You know, it's all related together with our environment. Absolutely. Yeah, That's so true. A lot of time. A lot of Kimberly, time. How, how did you do it? I mean, other than being a continuing education junkie, but, you know, that takes you away from the house and, and from work a lot. How do you juggle all that? I make it a priority. I mean, I am a single mother, but my children, I see it in them now. I have a son that's actually uh, getting ready to go to law school. My kids, I think that they see me as hardworking and I believe in uh, quality of time with them, not necessarily quantity. So like one of the big things that Jennifer and I are both really big on, we connected on is giving back. I just, I get my kids as involved as I can. I mean, they benefit from this and they see me learning and I hope that they always changing and being open because things are changing fast. It's impossible to really keep up, but like the idea of not even trying, I just don't understand. I mean, dentistry is so exciting because there's so much you can do and learn. And so it's been a journey, but I have to admit, like once I started this whole cycle and I started to learn and I realized that there were a few things that I was doing that maybe weren't in the best interest of my patients. And when you've dedicated your life to helping people, it's really, really, it's a hard pill to swallow. And once you realize that and you learn that flexibility and realize that you're going to have to keep changing, you can't stop. It's like the cycle, you know, you have to keep up. It's what's best for my patients. I think that's the bottom line. It's best for your patients. But I'm sure your, your son, who's going into law school, I mean, he will you set the bar, you set a, an example of always learning. And I think that is crucial. I think when a patient sees a dentist that is always trying to keep up, not just keep up, but learn more, I think that's something that they know is a good thing for them personally as a patient. So, and also you were very inspirational to your dental assistants and staff. Do you have any other staff that are going to dental school? <laughs> I, I've had three assistants go to dental school, oh but they've all left this area of the country, but I was able to drag yes. Jennifer back. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. So you guys are a team. You're practicing at Bethesda. You're right across the street from, is it the NIH or? Down the street, down the street. Yeah. Down the street, right. You've got lots of professionals in the area. I'm sure it's it's a densely populated with some of the best professionals in the U.S. That's probably, and you're working with them. 
yeah. as colleagues, yeah. that, that helps yeah. as well. What do the physicians think of you, the, the ones that you work with? I mean, you're not the average dentist. I'm just curious, what do they point out to you that you are well-credentialed and more than the regular dentist, or do they get it? Is that something that they appreciate, or is it still that typical relationship between dentists and physicians? It's like, yeah, okay, you're, you're the doctor of the mouth. You know, that's it. We work with people that value what we do. Yeah, yeah. A lot of researchers, a lot of, we can't name any names, but I can say that um, it's amazing to know these people that are on the forefront and they bring their parents and their families to us, the research, and then all the functional medicine doctors in the area are our number one referral sources. As far as the more traditional doctors, I mean, we, we have them as, some of them as patients and stuff, but I know that the functional medicine doctors in particular will shoot me an email and, you know, they'll have patients that potentially they're treating for Lyme or something else and they're hitting a wall in their treatment and they'll say, I'm sending you this patient. They say their dental health is good, but I want your, you know, I want you to take another look right. because they realize how important it is and their treatment to be successful. So that's really how we built up this practice is with right. them. In your early days, where did you get this drive or where did you find the information about functional dentistry, biological dentistry? It was at piecemeal. I opened the practice by myself in 2000. 2001. 2001, we opened the doors. I started to build up. I've been practicing down in DC for a few years. And I had a friend who, she was a uh, acupuncturist. And she said, I'm looking for a dentist to start doing safe amalgam removal on my patients. Now I had been in school and we had been making fun of Hal Huggins. I remember thinking, oh, you know, hearing all the crazy stories. And she was like, try to stay open to it. I'm going to give you some information and she like frigid, like some Klinghart videos. I don't know if you're familiar with him with like neural therapy and his take on the whole biological dentistry and amalgam removal and heavy metals, basically the dangers of heavy metals in our systems and how we're all walking around with all these heavy metals and we're being treated for anxiety, depression, but it's really just these heavy metals. She gave me some videos and some books and I read them and I was like, oh my God. So I immediately went and contacted Chris Shade. I started doing um. I did a challenge, this was early 2000s, and I was riddled with an album, with mercury, like riddled, my, off the charts. Like most dentists um, are, yeah. Yeah and, it, yeah. yeah, and it really explained a lot of things to me. So I started, that's when I started getting involved with the IOMT. And then I also realized I was pregnant with my second child. My first child, it was, I, we challenged, did a challenge on him, and he was riddled with mercury as well. There's no filter for that baby, mm-hmm. you know, and so I realized my staff and me, we were all... Um, just being exposed to this, we were removing these fillings all day long. So my patients would come in and I came out with all my gear because I bought it all. As soon as I like read this stuff, I just ran out and bought everything. And these patients are like, whoa, 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 you've been taking these fillings out on me <laughs> for the last couple of years. Because at this point it was like 2003. I was like, I know. <laughs> I said, but you know, this doesn't change anything and we're not charging things any differently. But for my staff and I, we have to do it this way and you're benefiting because we're going to do this all day long. And my patients loved it. They were well, like, they get I, it. I, you know, yeah, they, they get, they get it. it. I mean, they get it right away. Yeah. yeah. The, the irony is that we get it last. I mean, after they do, the patients get it. Usually it's a personal journey or a story. I mean, we talked about this, but for me, it was sleep apnea. That's when I really looked at that, how dentistry and oral health crosses over and connects to systemic health and but again, we don't get this in dental school. So I think it's wonderful that that both of you are thinking this way and 
and have gotten all this continuing education to support it. And of course, there's always more, right? This is not the end of the journey. And you're right, you're right, Kimberly, this is an exciting time for dentistry. There's a lot more coming. And I think it's it's not going to come in the curriculum. The curriculum is overloaded. And it's hard enough just to get a safe clinician out there in the world practicing. So I would encourage all dentists to to keep learning like you have, but but certainly in in view of this functional umbrella and and whole body approach, which I think is just fascinating. And again, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So today let's focus on implants. Again, I get a lot of questions about implants. I have placed implants, but I'm not an expert in it. I have restored a lot of implants. I can talk a little bit to that, but I thought it would be better if we just bring in some experts, that's the two of you, to answer these questions. So we've got several questions. We've talked a little bit about it already. Real quickly though, is there a functional way to think of placing implants. I mean, there's the mechanics of it that most of us learn how to do, but is there something more to be thought of? And I'm just curious what your perspective is on that. Yeah. So basically in terms of biological dentistry, functional dentistry, natural dentistry, holistic dentistry, however you want to word it, you know, it's research-based and it's the fact that one's dental health is connected to their overall health. So taking into account the mouth is connected to the rest of the body really when you're starting to put these implants in, you want to think even before you're putting them in, what's the person's immune system like? What's their nutritional values? What are their hormones look like? And that's where, you know, tying in the medicine that you just brought up. But Kim will talk about protocol and placement and things like that in terms of like a functional approach to. I mean, you know, if I were still practicing, I would throw a CGM on my patient for three months, Uh, definitely an A1C, a CRP, I remember back, again, implants kind of came on the scene when I was in dental school in the Bay Area. And it was Dr. Brennemark, of course, in Sweden, who I think was a physician, not a dentist, right? And he invented the implant and was placing them. And so that was fascinating to us because, of course, we were removing teeth and placing bridges. And that was the Mm -hmm. standard of care at the time. But we were told very early on that you cannot place an implant in a smoker in someone that had nutritional or immune suppression. And and I think that's been more nuanced now, but what you mentioned, Jennifer, is uh, that typing, knowing your patient better, knowing the uh, status of their metabolic, any metabolic issues like diabetes. So is there testing that, and do most dentists test a patient before placing an implant? No. Honest <laughs> no, answer, no, right. No. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. and so how important do you think that is? I definitely think it plays a role, but the actual environment and where you're placing it, bone quality, bone health, Mm -hmm. we use ozone, obviously, we use the PRF, the platelet-rich fibrin. For bone grafting? And then in in terms of during the actual procedure, if you wanted to talk about vitamin C and... Well, yeah, so I've been placing implants since 2001, and so I built the first half of my practice career doing titanium. And then when we were able to do zirconia, I switched. And, you know, now where we're at with our practices, we're following a lot of the Swiss protocols. And really the big, I mean, there's a lot of things you can test for and look at, but we're really looking at the LDL and the D3, which are very easy to test for. And these mm-hmm. are just gives us an idea of, you know, inflammation. And the big thing is in the U.S., we want your D3 levels over 70. Anything under 70 is going to be chronic disease. But you can be 60 and your physician's going to tell you you're perfect. We're going to want it higher. So with our patients, I feel like a lot of these implants on us, 
suboptimal patient in the US, like the typical patient, they're still gonna work, like as far as they're still gonna integrate. The difference is, and that's where you have to just educate your patient is, I feel like getting a dental implant is like getting a new limb or getting a do-over because a lot of people usually have gone through many years of maybe not taking care of ourselves and then get to a different point where if they're coming to see a biological dentist, maybe they're in a different place and now they're ready to go all in and this implant is a do-over. So if we want this to last like everything else in our mouth, then we educate our patients and we have a whole protocol, which is if you go to the SDS Swiss website, they're very specific on it and very simple. I like to keep it simple because otherwise people tend to not continue it, but on what we want certain levels at and uh, where we want you to maintain them. So you mentioned vitamin D, which is very important. I mean, there are a lot of patients that are put too much salt on their food, poor quality salt, sodium, their magnesium levels are off. Why is all this important? I mean, you touched on it. I mean, obviously that whole calcium metabolism is so important because that's what we're hoping for. And when you said integration and explain that to viewers, the implant gets screwed in, but there's more that follows after that, that integration. Explain that and how that's yeah, related to vitamin bone D. Growth. We're looking for bone growth. You can't get the calcium and everything we need into your bone without these other micronutrients like magnesium and uh, vitamin K. I mean, you know, we need these things to get it in there. And most of us have been sort of chronically, when we take our patients who have our optimal levels, the healing is crazy. It is right. just insane. You can focus on, you can brush your teeth and use the water foster and all that stuff. But if this is not where it needs to be, that inflammation is going to, you know, you're not going to grow as much bone and the quality of bone is going to be poor. Right. And it's not even just about that implant, it's everything else around it. Right. So like when you lose a tooth, all your other teeth are picking up the slack. So making this implant work, they're saving their other teeth. That's what mm -hmm. I always tell, tell my patients, you are saving that tooth next to it. Mm -hmm. Like this is very important because that imbalance, you're chewing on one side, missing that one thing, it's just a domino effect. Right. So explain to everyone what you say to someone that they're, they're sitting in your chair, they unfortunately know that they have to have a tooth extracted or several teeth, and the option of the implant is presented, and they've never heard of an implant. How would you explain an implant in simple terms to a patient? Well, I, joke, I tell, <laughs> what do you say? I joke around, I call it, this is going to be your bionic tooth. Yeah, <laughs> I tell them it's, it's a, a fake root, you know, it's, right. it's your do-over, your yeah. new teeth, and do I always over. say, Second chance. Yeah. if you name right. the tooth, it will do yeah. better. Right. So. <laughs> That's we good. I mean, I mean, we back in dental school, we were using the term, this is like the artificial heart, it's the artificial tooth. And it's a big, big step. Unfortunately, it's it's not necessarily permanent. It had a lot of issues in the beginning. It's been refined. I always tell patients the bone is amazing, as you mentioned. When we break bones, it's one of the quickest healing parts of our body. And sometimes it'll heal back even stronger. We've all heard that. But the implant goes into a softer version of our bone on the jawbone, and it gets screwed into place. You know, you, you can put it into an existing socket. We'll talk about that after the tooth has been extracted or put in a bone graft, wait a little bit, and then put it into fresh bone and literally gets screwed down into your jawbone. And then after some time, there's even more retention from that integration from the osteocytes. These are bone cells that are trying to that accept that titanium. We'll talk more about that. That's not perfect either. And 
back in my day, titanium was an amazing material because it was so biocompatible and the bone cells loved titanium. I'm not sure that's the way I would describe it today, but but they do collar that that implant. There are implants that are not threaded. And so it becomes part of you. It's not perfect. It doesn't right. move like a regular tooth does. It doesn't have that shock absorber system, those ligaments, but it can last forever. And it does right. give you a do-over. And in the old days, I don't know how far back that goes, but when you lost a tooth, that had so many implications to you and your life and, and your relationships and your you know, your ability to work and make a living. And, and so there was no do-over. I agree with you. I think this is your second chance do over to have a fabulous smile. So the implant goes into the jawbone. Explain the abutment. I think a lot of patients lose us at that point. They think the whole tooth goes in right. in one piece. And there are three pieces, sometimes more. Explain that in simple terms. So with the implants that we currently use, the Swiss Dental Solutions, the SDS implants by mm -hmm. Dr. Boltz, they offer one piece and they offer two piece, depending on where you're placing the one piece has the part, which is the abutment that you're referencing, already attached. Sticks above the gum line. What, yeah. And yep. that's what the crown sits on. And what I'll do is I'll actually use pictures when I'm talking to patients. The visualizations help, you know, people, the visuals do. So I'll show them, you know, if you imagine you're having a crown done, if it's a crown patient, for example, the part that that crown would sit on, that's the abutment. It's the part that sticks out above the bone, above the gum tissue. Then they also have the two piece, which is the fake root. And then the second part being the abutment, which is the part that sticks up that your crown will go on top. Most people know crown, but again, showing pictures. We also have a lot of models in the office. We use a lot of models. So, yeah. So people are used to, most people know what a crown is, how a crown fits on top of your tooth. Mm -hmm. The abutment is just the piece that goes on top of the root of the implant right. for the crown to sit on top of. Right. Let's talk about placement of the implant, placing it right after an extraction. Again, these are all the confusing aspects to the layperson. It's easy yeah. for us to forget their view of things. So let's say, uh, and I'm, of course it's based on which tooth comes out, but let's talk about a tooth that you could potentially put the implant in right away, immediate placement. Talk about how yeah. that gets decided. What are the drawbacks to that? Patients obviously want that implant and crown right away. They don't want to wear a a flipper or a you know prosthesis in, in the meantime could be up to six months, even longer. Yeah. So as a rule of thumb, we always try to place the implant at the same time of extraction. One less surgery, less bone loss overall. The research has showed over and over that that's if you can do it, you should do it, especially from the Swiss Dental Solutions. Mm -hmm. If you can't, then we talk to them about bone grafting, PRF, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean... We try to place it same day. We always tell people we are going to try that. Yeah, there needs to be enough uh, healthy bone in there. So a lot mm -hmm. of times you can predict it in advance. And we always, so the, the goal would be, the reason we like to place at the same time is because if you graft, so you have your tissue, which is like a scalloped, it's not flat in our mouth, it's scalloped. And you have that scalloping. And if you remove a tooth, and you graft it and you close it and then go back, it will flatten out and you will lose that height, that mm -hmm. tissue height. And then when you go put the implant in there, a lot of times you get these spaces that aren't ideal where just like with natural teeth, when you have those spaces that collect food and stuff. So it's not the ideal. So when we can place it immediately and the newer implants, especially the zirconium, are actually designed for immediate placement, what you see is 
you get no tissue or bone loss. You keep that height because there's something there supporting it. So that's ideal. But in cases where there's too much infection or too much bone loss, then we have to graft and go back in. But the hardest part about the whole procedure is really the extraction. So what we do is we like to go back in while the bone is still healing, usually around eight weeks, because you don't want it completely healed. You want it to be in the middle of healing because what we're looking for is to get that healing, that growth into the implant. And you'll get it a lot faster in unmature bone, bone that's still healing. So then we'll go back in and place it. We'll wait a little while and go back and place it. But they're just beautiful. The new ones are just, um, I've never tissue seen, yeah, it. I've never seen tissue grow on an implant, but you will see it on these newer ones. That is wonderful to see. And you're right, especially with the anterior placement of implants. Uh, is there some truth, do you think, to that early placement or immediate placement of the implant? If you can, if you do have enough bone, that the threads have to have something to bite onto. You can't just yeah, put, a, yeah, you have put to, an implant yeah. that rattles around. These are words I use. That's with any implant. Yeah, exactly. you need that primary stability. Yeah. Exactly. And otherwise it's going to move. And if it's moving, then the bone that is trying to integrate with the, well, it'll never happen. So right, exactly. I think patients get that. But do you think, just as an aside, and this is more for practitioners, bone responds very well to insult. I mean, that's how we move teeth. That's how it, they heal so quickly. They're always demineralizing and remineralizing. They're helping. I mean, they're the reservoir of calcium in our body. So bones are quite good at, they're very dynamic. Do you think there's an advantage to immediate placement over waiting and putting in a bone graft? Because that insult of the extraction has occurred and you are immediately afterwards placing an implant. Is there some synergy there or benefit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of research that shows that you actually get an increase in bone growth. Bone, yeah, bone wants pressure. It won't even, even once you put an implant in and, and you don't restore it, that area is not fully mature until it gets that pressure on it. Right. People think it needs, it needs something there um, or else you'll just resorb bone. Right. That's why when people are missing teeth for a long time, they start losing bone. They're not getting that pressure that it's designed for. Right. If you can, real quickly, I think a lot of patients like to hear this. What is the difference between the alveolar bone and the actual jaw bone? And that's the bone you were talking about that resorbs quickly, the alveolar bone. It's a little softer. That's the bone that we lose, right? Yeah. So what I tell patients is your bone wants something there. It wants to be stimulated. If you lose the tooth and you wait for whatever may be for our patients, mind, body, financial, it all has to be connected. But what can happen is teeth can start to shift. You can lose bone like we just talked about because there's nothing there to stimulate the bone. And then unfortunately, in the upper jaw, if we're, we're going into a little bit specifics, you can get something called pneumatization, where the sinus will start to expand and try to take that space, right. which then unfortunately can lead to some other situations right. that right. we try to avoid. Right. Let's talk about if we can't place it immediately, let's say it's a big first molar socket and there isn't enough bone for the threads to bite on. Talk about your bone grafting procedures and, and why you do that in that way. I mean, the type of bone graft to use, the PRF. So we like yeah. to use something called sticky bone, which is basically we draw the patient's blood and we spin it and we take the, the stuff we want out of it. And it becomes, it's almost like, it becomes like leather sort of. And then we do take, sometimes if we can take bone from the patient, depending on the site and when we've removed the tooth, if there's extra bone and we can use that, we sort of crush it. But a lot of times we use donor bone, 
we like we only use human donor bone and this is where people get a little nervous or start to think but i explained to them this so i've been doing this so long i've used every bad material just because it was out there and that's what everyone was right. using right. and i talk about like the glass stuff we used in the early mm -hmm. 2000s you want this okay this bone is clean and because this we need something that will fully resorb like it goes away and your bone takes its place but we need something that will last long enough to allow your bone to grow in there mm -hmm. and right now unless it's your own bone this is their, our best option so this bone doesn't stay in you this bone dissolves and your bone takes its place it's a temp it's a space holder if you don't put the space holder in there tissue grows very fast mm -hmm. and tissue cells grow in there and the bone can't grow so right. we take the prf which is basically information yeah, yeah for your body the platelet rich fibrin for yeah. people that are watching who don't know yeah yeah <laughs> and we roll it in there with the bone and it's like this loose almost like a it's a slurry like a mucous a, membrane right yeah <laughs> like a big booger <laughs> like a big booger with stuff in it and we roll it in there and we the pack key. it in there and right you want it loosely packed a lot of practitioners are still really you know yeah. you want your blood vessel, you want everything to grow. Exactly. You blood supply. Yeah, you want blood supply. So um, yeah, that's what we use. And it's like I said, it's just a placeholder. It's really come a long way. I and mean, like I said, I've used everything. You know, a lot of the grafting materials, like the BioAS, which people are still using a lot of, I've mm -hmm. used it way back when. It's basically bovine cow bone. It really doesn't resorb. It doesn't resorb. I've heard practitioners tell patients it resorbs. It doesn't. So like you go into these sites. It's glass, yeah. 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 So this right now is like the best option. It's, I don't think it's anything to concern people because like I said, it's, it's just a placeholder. Well, the body knows when it sees itself and that's why human bone is, is always better. Anything that we make that's man-made is, is yeah, sure. common sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even when we take human cells and alter it, even that is a problem. You, know, you can take mm -hmm. calcium and synthesize it into nano calcium particles uh, that has some benefit, but it has some drawbacks as well. So I think that approach is the way to go, but it's a very complicated, you need a lot of training for that. You have to be able to draw blood. This is something that most dentists are not doing. They should. I think it's easy. It's, I mean, I understand that fear at first. Right. We went through it. Yeah. But once you start doing it, it just becomes like everything else. Exactly. Yeah, someone needs to train people <laughs> to do this. And that right. would be a, a game changer. Right. So again, we're talking about a functional kind of global way of doing implants properly and, and seeing the body as a whole and not just a hole in the jawbone. Yes. What do you do with your patients that are systemically compromised in some way? Diabetes, insulin resistant, you know, they're malnourished. You know, they have a very dry mouth for a variety of reasons. Uh, how do you handle that? Do you sometimes turn away patients saying you're not a good candidate for implants or do you work with them? Well, we try to work with everyone. I mean, you know, we talk to them, we educate them. A lot of it's about informed consent, about them taking control of their overall health. Again, like we, we said before, a do-over. We try to do as much education we can within office, but we also work with the holistic nutritionists in our office. We also have like we talked about before, the practitioners in the area refer them out to get the blood work done if it's past our pay grade, you know, just things like that. We just really try to work together as a team. We also work with, to tie this in, like a physical therapist in our office to help with, say there's, you know, restrictions in the body just to help the body flow better, function better. It's, it's all part of the big picture. And I think a lot of these people with these issues, 
I don't know. I'm so concerned about their actual disorders. I'm more concerned about a lot of the medications they're on for them. That's really where we see the bigger complications. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, and I'm not saying anyone should go off their medications. I'm saying that that's where maybe we talk, I've talked to their physician. I mean, and we figure out a game plan, but there are cases at times where, where implants are not an option, but they are more so than you would think. But like, you know, but you do want the patient to be 100% on board with doing everything they can because it's their, you know, they ultimately, it's their responsibility to take care of themselves. So, you know, it's case by case. I have a lot of patients that are diabetics and, yep. and these things, you know, but, Smokers. you know, this, right. yeah, I mean, yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, each patient is unique. And, and again, if you're functionally minded, you understand that right off the bat, there is no rubber stamp that you can apply. I think as practitioners, we get into this kind of pattern where we see a problem and we think our method is, you know, we're good at mm-hmm. it because we've done it so many times, but we just keep doing it over and over. And sometimes that method needs to be modified to better match the patient the uniqueness of the patient. Do you think that the oral microbiome, if there was a dysbiosis, how does that affect implant placement and and longevity? The implant's going into bone. That's a whole different world. But, but then again, the tooth is still interfacing like a natural tooth with the oral environment. And again, there's no, the biological width is, there is none. There's no connection there. So does the dysbiosis of the oral microbiome affect the crestal bone around the implant? I mean, do you think that's possible? There's been no research on this, of course, but. I mean, I'm sure it is possible, you know, it's, and then where we go with that is like, what's the gut biome like, you know, it's, it's all, you know, it's all connected. That's, I think that's where those tests would come in because I mean, it it definitely affects it. You know, you're going to see, you know, you're not just, you know, when you're going in there and you're doing implants, you got to look at the whole mouth and, and see how mm-hmm. everything else is doing uh right. clearly if everything else is failing putting this implant in is not gonna change anything right so you know you gotta look at the whole thing but in nutrition the gut you know the gut is a second brain i mean yeah we would probably if we were concerned about that i have a list of people that i refer my patients to nice i have them get clearance first mm-hmm. yeah so but people it's sometimes it's just little changes uh mm-hmm it can be amazing. Uh, they can make some little life changes or habit changes. And, and I love the stories where they come back and they're like, I never knew I just had to do this. And then now I feel so right. great. Yeah. Sometimes that second chance, you know, they've, they've gone through the loss of a tooth and there's a lot of trauma, psychological trauma that's associated with, and I, I deal mm-hmm. with that all the time. I'm sure you do too. Taking out a tooth. I would say half the time there are tears and concerns and Rightfully so. I mean, I'm glad that they're that concerned. But this second chance sometimes give them gives them that what you call a do-over. They're more motivated than ever to relearn and how to eat better and deal with dry mouth and, and breathing issues. Uh, I mean, the fact that there is a dysbiosis means that they're going to come back in for another implant eventually, right? Because that's, that's the cause <laughs> yeah, of mental yeah. disease and loss of tooth structure. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's all connected. This is a big one. A lot of people ask about this. So let's spend some time on it. Zirconia versus titanium. There is a subset of patients out there, viewers, listeners, that see a metal implant as equivalent to a root canal. And a lot of people get very excited about root canals. They think that's a dead piece of tissue in their body. Certainly if it's got a micro fracture or if it's poorly done, 
you know, there is some controversy there, but really if should a implant be in the same category as a root canal or a poorly done root canal, I think that's a little unfair. And how does zirconia fit into that? <laughs> Big question. Sorry. It's loaded. Right. It's loaded. Oh, let's unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've actually been doing a lot of research on this recently. I do not think a titanium implant is in the same realm as a root canal. Root canal, you're removing your body's ability to fight an infection. The upside with a titanium implant, it's not an infection. Usually that's not the issue. What people don't understand is titanium emits these particles, titanium oxide. And we're just in the last couple of years really figured this out. And now it makes so much sense. I didn't see any issues with this the first 10 years I was placing them. And then I saw after like 2010, this huge issue with my patients who had implants of mine for 10 years and titanium titanium implants. And now I'm seeing this hairy implantitis, which really is just these titanium oxide things. Now, titanium oxide is in everything. Sunscreen. Sunscreen, makeup, food. Toothpaste. Everything. And what we don't realize, and if you go to PubMed and you do a search on that, is that we're accumulating it in our organs and they're realizing this and they say and the most recent research was 2019 and they like it's creating people are becoming titanium intolerant we didn't realize it, and it's becoming a huge problem and people need to start eliminating it now no one's talking about this i don't understand that as much as they should right. but we're still eating it and drinking you know it's still applying it to our skin and, and well not us and we didn't <laughs> think you would you know your skin's your biggest organ so you're after you're absorbing that it's accumulating your organs. It's causing bone loss. You're losing bone on these implants because this is your body's way of trying to get this this emitting uh, toxic thing out. I mean, I don't think it's a problem so much with the titanium. What's really changed in, in our environment that's creating it to fluoride increases titanium oxide ions to come out there. All of our mouthwashes, everything like that, cell phones. Every time you put a cell phone up to your head on a titanium implant, mm-hmm. you increase the bone temperature by four degrees. That's not even a 5G phone. That's right. a 3G or 4G. Yeah, 4G. Think about that. Yeah. I honestly think all this periimplantitis started with the cell phones and the EMF. Yeah. I mean, if we never had that, if we never had Wi-Fi or cell phones, I don't think that we'd have all this bone loss around implants. Yeah. See, our environment is changing very fast. We need to take that into consideration with materials that we're using, especially moving forward, it's a problem. I mean, I've spent the first half of my career putting these things in. I'm going to spend the second half removing them. I'm not happy about that. Mm-hmm. makes me very sad. And there's just read an article and um, not some research that, that was released at NIH last year. And it was heartbreaking. I mean, I was in tears because it's going to become a really big problem. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. So tell me about zirconia. Do you think zirconia, there are no oxalates with that? titanium oxalates. So any downside to zirconia? Right now, no, except for, you know, obviously the best thing would be to have your own body in. Right now, it's the best thing we have. We're not getting any interaction with the EMF issues, none of that. And um, there's no titanium oxide release. Yeah, right. the body and the body likes the zirconia. We've, we right. saw it initially with zirconia crowns. People yeah. know not as much bleeding at the gum line, you know, as long as people are taking yeah. care of plaque. Now ask me in 10 years. <laughs> right. I don't know what right. I'm going to tell you. Hopefully I'll be retiring at that point. <laughs> but 
right Jennifer, now. Jennifer can take out all those implants for yeah, you. I was going to say, okay. no problem. <laughs> the chart is right there. <laughs> but as I tell my patients, we're keeping our teeth, and I consider an implant a tooth, and we're keeping our teeth for our entire life. And it's like a car. You're going to have to take care of it. You're going to have mm-hmm. to update things. Of course. I you know put my implant in hoping this is forever, but. Yeah, and yeah. I will say when we're in Switzerland training with Swiss BioHealth, one thing they did say was like, if God forbid this zirconia implant does fail, there's still bone there. Yes. It's still got it still kept the bone there. So like worst case exactly. scenario, it fails. Like right. you still have bone, and then you put another one in. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. Two points there. A, you kept the bone from resorbing because if there was no implant there. That would have all yeah. disappeared and it would have been difficult to place an implant or impossible sure. later. But also the other teeth start shifting and moving. The point here is that, and I always try and reassure viewers, you know, they're worried about the root canal, but they want to take out the tooth because it has a root canal in it, but then they're faced with the implant. And I agree with you on titanium implants. Zirconia, I think, is better in most cases. But think about not replacing your teeth for all the teeth that you lose of how bad that would be. And there are all sorts of statistics and studies on how it shortens your life and and affects your bite and and digestion oh, yeah. and it could be yeah, the yeah. Well, microbiome right there's the research out too about like in terms of your bite you were saying about mm-hmm. actual losing occlusal height so basically when mm-hmm. all your teeth come together for people that aren't in the dental field and you have this nice resting bite where when your teeth come together and if that becomes smaller and smaller that has been linked with like brain clearing at night and there's even research coming out about people with dentures whether to keep them in not keep them in so right effects on sleep also spinal posture and vertebrae health and disc health and all that no absolutely teeth are important they are part of the system they're not just sitting there and they're just they're not just for smiling and chewing food Mm -hmm. i mean they are part of a ecosystem that has evolved over billions of years. And it's, it's a very important part of our overall health. And that's why it's so wonderful speaking to like-minded dentists on this oral systemic connection. So what percentage yeah. of your practice is zirconia? Is it hundred percent? Okay. I mean, I think that's, you know, you're doing what you believe in and, and what yeah. you've seen. Um, so back when you were, I've seen a lot of implants, and the titanium implants, first thing, when I see a patient, new patient, and I see an implant, I will take my gloved finger and run it along the free margin on both sides to see if there's a little expression of exudate, otherwise known as pus. And I would see that 30% of the time in an implant, maybe 25%, 30, yeah, 30%. And with zirconia, I would see that less. How would you explain that? I mean, is that immunogenic response you were talking about? Is it the oxalates that are irritating the sulcus? It could be a combination. Yeah, there should probably some exposed threads somewhere. There's um, some going to be some threads underneath that tissue that aren't in bone. And then you're going to see, you're going to definitely see that. Yeah. Which is usually caused by the ions being released. It's like this whole right. crazy thing. I'm assuming a perfectly cemented crown, no excess Cement, right, right, right. Uh, you know, all of that. So, and good hygiene, but I mean, yeah, anything we put in the body, the, the body's going to respond to, and that's why cow bone or synthetic bone is not as good as human bone. I mean, that's a perfect example. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about, I'm just going through a list of questions here yeah. in the U S most of the time, the practitioner that places the implant is the one who puts the crown on the implant. I always thought that was kind of 
not a good idea. All the implants that I restored were from uh, the guy next door, and we worked very close together. We literally had a revolving door between the offices. Tell me if you agree with that. And obviously, you do your own restorations. Uh, if you're an oral surgeon, I don't know if a lot of patients and readers know this. If you're a specialist, you've you've contractually with a board, you know, agreed to just doing oral surgery. You cannot place a crown. So if you're doing implants or a periodontist, a gum surgeon, they're not able to do the restoration. What is there if there is any synergy between one practitioner going from the very beginning, taking the tooth out, placing the bone graft, placing the implant, making all the decisions and doing the work, and then providing the final restoration and occlusion? I think it leaves a, a lot less room for error and miscommunications. Uh, you know, you're treating that whole, because you're not just treating that one area you're putting a crown on, we're treating every other tooth in the mouth. So we're treating the tooth above it. We're treating everything. That's a lot less procedures and um, mm-hmm. it's easier on the patient. Easier it's on the usually patient. a lot less expensive as well. I don't know of any downsides to that. Yeah, I see but teach their own, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, if someone the, down, the only downside their... is that the patient isn't able to find someone in their area, like the two of you to be able to do that. I mean, and That's let's face true. it, you guys are not the norm yet. I mean, uh, <laughs> and, and you both are general dentists, but look at what you're doing and able to do and trained to do, where if you're a specialist, you're very limited to what you can do. So sure. maybe the organization of dentistry, the politics of dentistry has to change uh, well, what's interesting they're... is I've seen some specialists put temp crowns on their implants. Mm-hmm. Well, but, but that's not done, the but, final crown. <laughs> right. But that's done by lab typically. <laughs> right, all, right, right. All, like all the old surgeons I know, they come over and they show me how beautiful the temp is, right? Because we see it on the die, and and then I'm like, okay, who did that? Was it the lab person or was it you? You know, right. like, it? oh, it was the lab. You know, and that's fine. Right. But a well-made temp is important. For, right. So for those who are wondering what we're talking about, after the implant is placed and there's an abutment, a piece that's sticking out of the gum, we don't just leave it that way until the crown comes. You have to put a nice temporary crown. It has to be clean and kind to the tissue, as Kim was saying, so it doesn't flatten out the tissue. That would af- affect aesthetics. That temporary is very important. And sometimes the temporaries are left in there for a long time to plump up the tissue. Mm-hmm. And, sure. yeah. and yes. so zirconia. I mean, I agree with you on zirconia. I think, uh, well, so any drawbacks to zirconia? I think you said no. In the old days, it, they were brittle. They would break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lots of, I gave a yeah. lecture on this. There's, right. there's lots of, from earlier, there were problems with the cementable abutments, mm-hmm. problems with, yeah, the inflexibility and the, the implant, the carbon screws. Itself. I hate those carbon screws. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's uh, ridiculous, Sam. Yeah. But they've uh, really matured and they've, yeah, yeah. The newer generation is, uh, much better. I mean, much better. I was always sort of one foot in, one foot out because those screws, I hated them. And when you had a problem, it was a big problem to have. So I understood the concerns. So, you know, the material is very biocompatible and that's the best material. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you lose an implant or you got to remove it, it's very hard to remove mm-hmm. a zirconia implant because yes. it's so integrated by the body. Right. So, but uh, the newer generation, yeah, and the newer generation is just much better. Right. Have you ever been able to unscrew a zirconia implant? Because I, I, I think I'm glad you said that because that illustrates how well it integrates. Where with titanium, there are a lot of titanium. There's (laughs) a you can unscrew a titanium implant that's been in there for many, many years. It's difficult, and but there are devices that allow you to kind of that little jerking, torquing motion where you can, it pops out. And I think a lot of 
practitioners were surprised because they were told that that integration was just like, you know, like sliced bread. It was amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. one more advantage about zirconia, the aesthetics of it. Speak to that. Sure. I mean, I can speak. To <laughs> so I actually have a zirconia implant. I, I practice what I preach. So I have one right at my canine, my right canine that Kim placed for me. <laughs> and I will say it's I feel like it's just like any other tooth. It's, mm-hmm. it's in the front. I, I don't even think really about it at all. Aesthetically, it looks great. And if God forbid, I get a little recession as I get older, it's white. So mm-hmm. it's not right. metal or dark, you know, and it's not so much a problem. And my tissue loves it. It's I have great tissue around it. And I brush it and I clean it just like, you know, most other things, you, you know, it's, there's some different schools of thought out there about flossing it, not flossing zirconia implants. But either way, in my humble opinion, I think, you know, just plaque control anywhere, whether it's implant or tooth, you know, is just right. important. So, and you don't want to be too aggressive or too conservative. So. Yeah, there's no actual ligament. So you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Right. I think a lot of patients don't understand the differences between a tooth and an implant. They think an implant is a perfect recreation of a tooth. And of course, it doesn't have the movement. It doesn't have that seal, that girdle of tissue, but it still works. And zirconia works even better. The titanium implants will show through the gums. I mean, the gums can be very thin near the free margin, you know, near the edge of the gum. There's recession, as Jennifer mentioned, and as it recedes, it becomes a big gray spot. So that certainly is a big plus for zirconia. Real curious, Kim, on Jennifer's implant, is that in, is she in group function or were you able to do cuspid disclusion? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, because, well, I mean, yeah. For, well, first of all, it's one of the older systems the older at this right. point. So we didn't okay. want, you know, too, too much, much stress on it. on it. Yeah. But so for, it's funny for a while, actually, I had very, very, very light occlusion on it. And then more recently, actually, like last week, I, we like did some bite work for me. I wanted to open up my bite a little bit and get right. some of the compression out of my neck. So we're actually in the process of adjusting my occlusion as we speak. Right. For those who are listening and going, what are they talking about? Uh, cuspids are the teeth that actually, as we chew in these circular motions, chewing is not necessarily vertical. The cuspids are these long teeth that help protect all the other teeth by, because of their length, we bump into them first and we ramp onto them. And that discludes the other teeth. And I guess what I was asking is, can- She's using it. She's using it more than I want to. Exactly, right. right. She's making you nervous, right? I guess my question is, is can a zirconia, latest generation zirconia implant, handle full cuspid disclusion? That stress of that natural young bite. The opposing tooth might not handle it occluding ah, on it. Okay. You need to be almost out of occlusion because right. when you clench really hard, you're gonna be hitting it and that implant's not moving. Right. So you have to, the bite is super important and the bite is also important. The dentist should check it at the, every cleaning that patient has, especially if that patient's not wearing any kind of appliance at night, your bite changes all the time on your natural teeth. So what happens is the bite may be perfect on that. And a year later, maybe not now it's the only tooth that she's hitting. Right. So with the zirconia crown, the other teeth are enamel. You always have to keep checking in on that bite to protect the implant. Yeah. Let's talk about occlusion. So what we're talking about is occlusion, the bite, uh, for those who don't know what occlusion means. And the bite is crucial. So the implant can be well-placed. The crown can be just gorgeous, tight margins, and either have poor occlusion to begin with or poor occlusion later as the bite changes. How crucial is that to the longevity of the implant, the bite, getting that right? Very. 
very important because yeah. um, you don't just take a bite, like have someone tap tap. You have, they, you have to have them bite, clench, clench down as hard as they can because those teeth move and you hit it heavier. It and will. Also with postural changes too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got to be people sitting back versus sitting up, neck mm-hmm. forward. Neck. I mean, think about all these people that are on their devices like this, changing your bite or sitting at the computer, head forward posture. Right. Sleep bruxism. We grind differently <laughs> yeah. when we're lying down and we do the That's weirdest right. things while we're sleeping. Weird motions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, easy. it's almost easier when you're doing full mouth because then you're just about balancing. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. When you're just doing that site, it's very important because that would be the only reason you'll have issues with that implant. But like I said, I think even before that, you'll see issues with the opposing tooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess the point here is that it would behoove you to have one practitioner or a team in under the same roof, right? Do it from, I mean, from the extraction to adjusting the bite and then monitoring and watching the implant. That is so key. And the reason I say that is because it's good for the patient, but here's the problem. That's not the norm in the U S it's very piecemeal and segmented by, and the patient costs more that way, but they, they get the runaround. There's a big parts issue. Sometimes the general dentist doesn't have the right parts. I, I like it when the okay. when the surgeon provides the whole kit. Sometimes they'll order the wrong thing. They put the wrong screw in there, and lo and behold, a year later, that thing is flapping in the breeze. I mean, uh, the, um, you know, yeah, the yeah. abutment. That happens a lot. Right. Yeah, just happens a lot. I think even if your general dentist isn't the one placing everything, they need to be the one monitoring, like monitoring and taking care of it. It doesn't just because that surgeon placed it. That's just the beginning of taking mm-hmm. care of that tooth. I mean, it needs right. to be. It's not that big of a, I mean, they just have to do a little bit of education on it. And it's just a matter of having some time to check the occlusion, whether they're there for a hygiene check or something else. Right. No, I think the point is, is that you have to go through this process. I, I know it's going to seem very overwhelming to so many people listening, but it's better to have something there than not in so many different ways. And it, we're not just talking about your smile. We're talking about your overall health. And as Jennifer mentioned, postural health, neck issues, it's key. A lot of people, readers, listeners ask about the costs of implants, insurance. Uh, In the old days, it was terrible. There was just no coverage period, but it's gotten better. How do you deal with that in your office? Uh, Explaining that and do you get coverage? How difficult is that for them? financing and what are people looking at? I mean, I think their numbers are all over the map, but for someone that sees you, what would an implant cost? Single tooth. Let's start there. Yeah. I think it's, it's obviously an investment in your health, you know, and and how much you value your health. And I feel like as insurance has realized maybe the importance of it, they're starting to cover it more. I can't, tell you how much insurance will cover in terms of percentage. It probably depends on your insurance. Totally like depends a lot on their plan. You know, people we see if they have a PPO, like there is the out of network, you know, mm-hmm. benefits there. You can get, have a whole other conversation about just insurance alone, but you know, we do file for our patients. We try to, you know, help the, the most we can, but and it's an investment for sure. It, it totally depends. Like we have patients who, for instance, work for the world bank. We have a lot of world bank, patients because of where we're located and and they have no max on like implants and stuff right. like that. So Interesting. everything. So we are not providers for any insurance. We do file for our patients and we will wait for that portion of reimbursement. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, find out 
the front desk finds out what their portion and they are responsible for that. Right. So it just completely depends on your, and a lot of insurances will cover 80% or 50%. It just mm-hmm. completely depends on that. If you have no insurance whatsoever, the placement of an implant is about $2,000. Okay. And then that the crown and the crown. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. Right. It does not include the crown. But again, this is an investment that's worthwhile. If you don't have insurance, it's worth getting financing for. Do you want to have heart disease? Do you want to, I mean, obviously no, right? And you would find a way to fix that. I I know it's not doable for everyone, but it's not just to restore your smile so that people don't laugh at you. That is not why you're doing an implant and restoring that tooth. It is a systemic approach that helps your whole body and health and and well-being as well and Absolutely, and your yeah. lifespan and health span. Yeah. so it, it is a big deal and as long as the patient knows that they're they'll find a way sure. that brings me to another question and i get asked this occasionally but it's a question i have what do you think of these clinics that in one day you could be fully <laughs> we, we're not mentioning any names <laughs> no i'm not going to mention any names but you know who I'm talking about, right? <laughs> And, and it's, a, it's a big moneymaker and they have late night TV ads and that should be a giveaway <laughs> right there. But, or my favorite is if it's being advertised in that little magazine that they have on airplanes, don't do it. Right. Anyway. But I mean, these are, could be very gifted clinicians, but sure. and the product that they're providing, they stand behind and they believe in, but I really wonder, is it, and I'm asking this on behalf of my listeners. And I mean, is that something Obviously, you get it in one day and people that have not taken care of themselves or haven't been able to and they have no teeth. I mean, that's affected their life. I've met these patients. I've spoken to them. Having teeth in one day does fix a lot of things. But what is the cost benefit there? How long do they last? And what would be wrong with going to see someone like you and just do it slowly and do it well. I mean, what is the difference in cost and timing, longevity? What's better for you? Kind of just tell me, be honest. We're not mentioning any names. Sure. Well, on a side note, we do, Kim Baird, she does do IV sedation. So there are people that come in, whether mm-hmm. they've had you know past traumatic experiences or they just want to get a lot of work done and we want to turn off great. the sympathetics and get them into a more you know, relaxed state. We do offer... For example, if they want to do the entire upper arch. But mm-hmm. I think what these patients are leaving with, if correct me if I'm wrong, they're leaving with a complete denture. They're yeah. leaving with the, the lab, lab fabricated tension. An immediate. So you're not getting the final. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not necessarily the final thing. But I think, bar. you know, just someone sitting on the couch late night with their soda and their decayed teeth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sexy. It's like, oh, one visit. And, but then I think once you get there and you start to realize it's not just one visit, it's right. multiple visits. Exactly. You know, it's we see so. we see a lot of those patients afterwards. So yeah, I mean, I think some people it's a great option, you know, for a quick fix for sure. I think you, it's another case by case. But I do think you should ask yourself, what would you build your house on? Would you build your house on a marsh? You know what I mean? It's gonna look great. Maybe you get a few years out of it, and then what happens when there's a problem? Mm-hmm. What's right. the plan? Yep. Yeah. So it's a lot of money for a few years. Yes. Yeah. So I have patients who have friends who have done that and then they're coming in to see, but they're coming mm-hmm. in to see us. And I think you're getting something different. You're getting a more of a, a long-term whole body approach. Right. Yeah. Like a long-term plan, you know, that we're going to help you take care of. Right. Uh, so I think it's very different. These companies, I mean, 
They educate people about implants in general. So that's good. Um, We do almost, you know, what they're talking, they're going to be definitely using titanium. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's a quick fix. And um, I totally get why someone would want to do that, but it's a very different, it's a very different approach. It is. And it's not the functional approach and doesn't address any root causes. And in the long run, I think it's going to cost you more. I think in every case, that is true. And, and also, I always, always tell those patients, read the warranty very carefully and yes. get a second opinion. Go to a regular implant dentist and ask them, compared to how I'm scheduled here, how long would it take to get a presentable smile? And I think most of them would say, you know, that's the, the difference isn't as much right. as I uh-huh. thought it would be. And I can handle the difference and I can live with that. Right. And I think another good thing for them to ask would be, they should be asking these practitioners, um, why did this happen? Why am I in here? And how is this not going to happen again? Sure. Mm -hmm. Like I'm losing these teeth, whether it's periodontal disease, you know, how is this not, I mean, maybe they're not going to get cavities on these implants, but there's a problem that's not being addressed. And sometimes, like I said, it's a very quick, easy, whether it's D levels are too low, LDL Mm -hmm. levels are too high. Right. Or as you mentioned, HbA1c is out of whack. Because, yeah, sure, it could be that quick fix, but again, how long is it going to last Mm -hmm. if you're putting it into a very compromised? And these, yeah, and people with full mouth issues, it's not about brushing. It's not about brushing. Exactly. I could stop brushing tomorrow and I'm never going to have that issue. So they shouldn't feel bad about it. I remember I was born with really horrible tetracycline stains, you know, Mm -hmm. a child of the early 70s, took lots of tetracycline for ear infections. And I remember my grandmother my entire life being like, brush your teeth better. And my teeth were green and gray and had those lines going through it. And no one told me there's nothing I could have done until like well into the 80s. So these people a lot of times feel really badly and they shouldn't because no one's told them. They just don't know. Like, you know, and so this could be a huge life changer for mm-hmm. them. Right. Is that why you think you got into dentistry? Early dental issues? Probably. 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 My mother, we moved in the early 80s and my mother, we switched dentists and I went in to see this dentist. And this is when veneers were like experimental, like only like, you know, no, who was doing these like in Hollywood. And I was 14. Wow. And uh, the dentist said to my mom, your daughter is beautiful. She should be able to smile. And my mother cried and she didn't wow. talk to my father. And I didn't know what this guy was doing. He hacked my teeth down to nothing. Okay. Oh. Nothing. Okay. Right. I was like a monster. Didn't even put temps on there. But oh, my mother that was the old way of doing this. it. Yep. My mother paid for this for four years. Oh. It was, and I went back to school that fall with like a, smile. a different life. So yeah, no, I get it. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah no, I mean, it's it the power of cosmetic like, dentistry i'm all for cosmetic dentistry uh yeah. it's it's like western medicine you know you fall and you break your neck and they can patch you together it is life-changing and knowing a great cosmetic dentist is is key and, and so many people damage their teeth in so many different ways certainly tetracycline staining i had a lot of patients from china that uh, they were still they used tetracycline longer than we did you know, these are young women that, you know, needed that smile makeover. And, and it really does transform your life. It, it is important. Yeah, I look to be able like to do a that. goblin. I yeah, look like a goblin. I know. Yeah. I that's, a, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's made you what you are today, I believe. I think it's, I, uh, I mean, we, I think we become great practitioners based on our history and, and our struggles in, in life. And I think that's so important. I think I've run out of questions. 
How about nutritional support for implant success? Anything before and after for the longevity of the implant? I mean, certainly vitamin yeah, I mean, I D, told, but... Yeah, I try to just keep it simple for some of these patients. They tell them fruits, veggies, bone broth, try to think healthy, eat healthy. But also a lot of our patients are working with functional medicine doctors yeah. already. So they're like coming in on supplements. And if they're not, you know, we have a good resource of people to help them if, if they're if they need more help than just, yeah, you we, know, the basics. Yeah, we have a lot of great uh, practitioners in our area, dietitians and stuff that like, especially, uh, you know, patient have decay issues. It's definitely a mineral absorption issue. That'll be our first go to is to send them to someone. We have, um, we have a whole list of people that we use uh, to figure out what's going on, whether it's dietary or gut, usually both. But uh, yeah, decay is, it's a mineral absorption issue. So right. that that's a real issue with the implants. So we usually like to get it addressed in advance as much as we can. I think that's if great that, to work you know, with, with uh, other professionals. I'm curious, what are the medical disciplines that you usually interact with? So we work with naturopaths. We work with the osteopaths in our area. We also work with chiropractors, physical therapists, myofunctional therapists, sleep MDs, um, sleep MDs, any type of body worker, yeah, <laughs> craniosacral therapists. Yeah. Some big referrals for functional medicine doctors and um, some um, infectious disease specialists. Oh, yeah. nice. That was my first. Yeah. Big <laughs> I have a really big connection with a, a very big infectious, infectious disease, disease doctor at NIH. Yeah. That, yeah, so that's and being in Bethesda is wonderful. You've got lots of great practitioners there. Yeah. So you're integrated in so many different ways. I think that's a key element of being a, a functional provider. I think it's wonderful. Thank you. I'm inspired by the both of you. I'm very proud that you are. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Such a great service. Well, it's all about education. And that's one of the things that we all have to do. That's the definition of being a doctor. I think that actually comes Mm -hmm. first is defining what is important, educating the public, and then also educating other providers as well. So I'm a firm believer in the functional approach. You guys are living and breathing it to its extreme. What is next? What is your next CE course? Let's start there. What's next in dentistry? <laughs> We're learning about something called counter strain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Google it, Tony Robbins. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Counter strain. It's basically finding areas of the body with there's so if I don't know for people out there about fascia, that's what covers muscles, nerves, everything. So finding Organs. these areas of restrictions where the fascia and releasing those so the nerves can function better the muscles can function better yes uh, especially doing, in this area yeah in this area um, also i think i'm on my third airway residency at this point that i have coming up we Good. just in june were with us uh, the swiss dental solutions sds with their symposium up in new york kim bear was giving a lecture about zirconia implants so I, I feel like there's always something going on. I mean, and then we also have like our ACLS training. It's all, we're always learning. I want to hit up that Justin Wall. Yeah, Judson Wall. Judson Wall. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. I think airway is huge in dentistry. I think we have a lot to contribute to it. I think we're still underutilized. Uh, I do think we should be able to diagnose sleep apnea and sleep disorder breathing. It's we send our patients home with take home sleep studies all the time. Good. Like, it's a yeah. no-brainer, but you know, physicians don't want to give that up yet, and and I think that's a disservice to the population in general. Uh, but I think that'll all change. I think, especially if you're a functional dentist, I think you're able to provide just a, a bigger, better product, and 
and I think it's by nature inherently more evidence based and and that kind of global big picture is is definitely the way to practice and again the two of you are doing an amazing job of it so and perhaps we should when we talk again or do another interview uh podcast i would love to talk about what you're learning with tony robbins the fascia is there's a lot that's for example just deep tissue myofascial release is uh, is very important and works uh And so there's a lot to that, but there's a lot we don't know. I think we'll we'll end it there, but that is the key element is knowing that we don't know everything and there's always more to learn and we have to keep open minds. And most of the functional providers that I speak with have that just built into them. They're suspicious and they are always looking for what's out there and they have theories. And that's the great thing about being a clinician is they have a theory either after having read a study or it's just something that pops into their mind from being a clinician. And so there are no theories or no discussion of it. They haven't seen it anywhere. And then they take it to its you know, ultimate kind of completion as to whether it's true or not. And they can do that because I'll say this simply, I mean, we can use our patients as kind of a, not a guinea pig, but a, like a test. I mean, I, I would test lots of things in my patients and, and I would be very honest with them. Let's try this. I mean, since we've run out of options, let's try this. Yeah. Let's be very scientific about it and record everything and then even do a study on it, small study. And then maybe this will help you and benefit many others. And whether it works sure. or not, it doesn't matter. It's how you're thinking. You're always kind of riding the crest of the wave and and I think that's so important. I mean, a lot of dentists haven't gone to zirconia. They're still hung up on the idea that zirconia will break in the mouth the minute you load it. So obviously that's not true. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it was a pleasure. Great. And we'd love yeah. to get you back on again. And I have one last question for you. What is your favorite part of the day? I love the morning. I'm a big morning person. Uh, I like after work. <laughs> I get running. I run after work. So I like, I run before work. She runs after work. And then, and then when, so for you, Jennifer, in the morning, what are you thinking about in the morning? I'm curious. So yeah, usually I'll get up around maybe like, it depends if I'm doing a a. 5am workout or a a. 6am workout, what time I get up, but I get up and I'm just, it's very quiet. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So it's very quiet in the house at that hour. (laughs) I try to get outside for, for in the morning and I just try to clear my head. And often, you know, I get a lot of clarity while I'm working out or right Right. after working out Exactly. and I'll come to work and I'll be like, Kim, I have this idea. We got to do this idea. And then she'll like call me after her run in the afternoon and she'll be like, Ooh, I thought about the idea. I have another idea and it's just, it's great. So the second part of that question, this is kind of a, I've set you up for this is when do you experience your aha moments? If you ever get them. When I'm running a lot, I usually will have a whole conversation in my head. Definitely. Uh, Sometimes there's some tears involved. Working through things. But by the end, I'm like, yeah, I have to say that that's been really, really, really tremendous for me. I agree. It's walking, it's exercising. Uh, yeah. But also it's right before I go to sleep. Sometimes I'll think I'll run a dialogue and I, I hate to wake up and write it down. So I have a sure. a pen with a little red light on it where I can just write a little keyword that will remind me of that thought because, you know, that latency is 10, 12 yeah. minutes of sleep ideally. And there's a lot that goes on in that point in time before you drift off. And sometimes yeah. that's send me the, that. Send me that pen, please. I need I will. that for like I will. <laughs> the morning when I'm waking up and no one is awake yet. And I just need to write something down. Definitely. Please. Definitely. <laughs> Thank well, you guys. It was great to have you on. 
I'm sure yeah. this will be very helpful for so many people. Again, I appreciate it. I know you've had a long week and here you are on Friday talking with us. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank uh, you. Ask the Dentist was very excited about this and uh, we will get this out there to the masses and they will learn a lot from it. So again, thanks thank for Thank you time. so much. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. Bye. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that was instructive, helpful. There were so many questions about implants. I thought this would be the best way to answer the questions. So put as many of the questions together as possible and bring in two experts. Uh, I hope you were impressed with Kimberly and Jennifer. I am, to me, they're the epitome of what you should be looking for in functional dentistry. Remember, they're not specialists. They are general dentists. And look at the scope of what they are looking at and treating. Anyway, so if you have any questions about implants in general, go to askthedentist.com, our website. We do have a lot of blog posts on implants. If you have any more questions about implants, something we didn't cover, something more specific, there was one question we didn't get to on osteopenia, go ahead and ask. I will get you the answer either via this podcast or direct email somehow or on Instagram. I will get you that answer. That's what I'm here for. But if you have any questions, go to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. And if you're looking for a functional dentist, of course, our directory, go to askthedentist.com slash directory. I wish you all the best. I'm glad you're listening to me on everything about oral health. This is a new perspective, perhaps, but I am blessed and flattered that you are open and interested in functional dentistry. I'm very passionate about it. I think it will change dentistry. It already has to some degree. But as you heard in this episode, it's not the norm and it's not taught in the curriculum, but it is thriving and it is coming soon to your local dentist. So look for it, recognize it, and I think you'll benefit from seeking it out. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you in the next episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. This will help others discover the same oral health information that you've been using to optimize your overall health. As always, I appreciate your support and your reviews. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.